The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. We're now well and truly into the month of December, and it can be a sad time for a lot of people, especially with the festive season and bringing families together. In some cases, people don't have family or they may be lonely. Um, if you need to talk, if you're stressed, if you're emotionally overwhelmed or abused, you need to contact the High FM helpline. It's toll free. It's 0800 242436. That number again is 0800 242436. It's caring, compassionate and confidential and it's here to help you. I gave a chat in Cape Town a few weeks ago. Uh, to the Director of Priority Crime Investigations, also known as the Hawks, uh, the Asset Forfeiture Unit, the um, Special Investigating Unit, the National Prosecuting Authority, and members from the private sector who were involved specifically in fighting fraud and corruption. You may be interested to, to know that today is actually International Anti-Corruption Day. And one of the, the points that I raised in that particular discussion was the fact that if you want to experience corruption and state capture at its realist, then one has to look at things like load shedding. And my words weren't cold, and once again we have load shedding. And load shedding impacts on every single South African's life and brings home the reality of what state capture, fraud and corruption has actually done to our country. When one looks at the situation with regards to the, 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 the current power outages, that can only be blamed on the situation pertaining to the supply of coal, the building of Madupi, the building of Kusile, all of which is behind. Kusile is now in its 11th year of construction. The price has boomed from 90 billion rand to 200 billion rand. Some of Kusile's generators came on strength a couple of months ago and are now off strength. In fact, last week there was not one generator providing power. The same applies to Badupi. The situation cannot carry on. We've seen with SAA how it's been placed under business rescue. But what do we do with Eskom? Eskom is the most important state-owned enterprise in South Africa. It doesn't just keep the lights on at home. It keeps the businesses going. It keeps industry going. And that's where the revenue comes from that keeps our country turning. We've had the Zondo Commission. We've had the PRC Commission. We've had multiple commissions of inquiry. There's multiple results that have come through with respect to investigations that have taken place. What we now need to see as South Africans to show us that our country is serious about fighting the scourge of fraud and corruption is to see actual prosecutions, actual asset preservations, restorative justice, and the restitution of monies that have been plundered from the state purse. Joining me just now in studio is Fricky Heffer and Ralph Donobrega. They are from an organization known as Hope Again Recovery Center. And we're going to talk about the scourge of drug abuse in South Africa. I'd like to remind you of the views expressed on the show, not necessarily those of High FM, its presenters or its management. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We've chatted about the problems in South Africa with drug abuse, but I don't think anybody realizes just how bad it is. And we've also drawn parallels between the symbiotic relationship between drug abuse and opportunistic criminals. People that are abusing drugs, people that are involved with drugs, they need to support that habit. And when they fall on bad times, when their family no longer supports them, when they no longer have money, 
they start stealing, they start committing crimes, and unfortunately some drugs make them commit worse crimes than just stealing. We've seen what's happened with tick addicts in Cape Town, where they've actually gone to the extent of abusing their own parents, raping their mothers, raping their grandmothers, and doing things that are, that are beyond despicable. To help take us through this today, we're chatting to two gentlemen from the Hope Again Recovery Center, um, Fricky Heffer and Ralf Donobrega. Gentlemen, welcome to studio. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having us. Fricky, thank you so much for driving today. You've come all the way from uh, the northwest province from your facility in Poch. I've been fortunate enough to, to see the facility, and it really is a beautiful facility. But before we start talking about how we can help people who are, are trapped in the darkness of drug addiction, let's talk about drug addiction as a as a whole in South Africa, what is the reality of drug addiction? I think when we look at drug addiction, especially from from a youth point of view, the reality is that it's getting much worse than than what it was a few years back. And with things like uh, marijuana being legalized and people being able to smoke marijuana at home, doesn't make it much any easier. So I, I would say that it's getting much worse than what it was ten years ago. Ralph, I'm I'm thinking to myself, you've got a story to tell us today. I'm looking at you, and you've come into studio with Fricky, and I know for a fact, just by sizing you up without knowing you from a bar of soap, that you've experienced this personally. Tell us a bit about your story. Well, myself, I come from uh, the Wild East Rand, the Germiston, Boxburg area, and I was uh, started using from a very young age uh, marijuana, and then went into heavier drugs. And um, by grace, I ended up at a facility about nine years ago. And ever since then, I've been involved. Um, I've been involved with helping people and and helping them through their addiction and learning more about it and counseling people and uh, inspiring others to, to come over and know that there's a way. Just so you know, I have a wife, I have kids, and uh, now I'm functioning and I'm now doing giving back where I can give it back and I continue to grow from there. So, yes, I definitely have a, a long story to tell, but I'm sure we don't have that much time. So next year you celebrate 10 years of sobriety? Uh, it'll be eight years next It'll year. be eight years next yeah. year. And, Fricky, I'm listening to, to you and Ralph, and you've both immediately mentioned uh, marijuana, dacha, boom. Um, can I take it for granted that you do not support the legalization of, of marijuana? No, 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 not at all. If I look at the kind of problems we have with psychosis, especially from people coming to our center on marijuana, I don't support it at all. Ralph, people argue that it's not a gateway drug, yet we've seen certain studies show that you do get you do get drug-induced psychosis, you do get memory loss, and there are issues associated with marijuana. Yet you have a very strong lobby group that say it can assist with pain relief, it can assist in the treatment of certain diseases, etc. How does one weigh up the pros and the cons when it comes to the use of marijuana? I think when you look at you, right in saying that, uh, and what Ricky said now, it is the worst uh, drug you can use for self-induced psychosis. It's a fact. It's been studied out. You can look at studies in America and all over that it definitely induces psychosis, heavy psychosis. And I've experienced it over the last few years that I've been working with the people, that the worst psychosis does come from marijuana. Yes, there are other drugs like meth and that induces huge psychosis, but this definitely does cause a bit, a bit of a problem. 
And at the same time, yes, they're right. It does have medical use, but it must be processed correctly. You can't just take a marijuana plant, get the oil out of it, and use it for medical things like cancer, etc. It must be processed properly, which it hasn't been processed properly by most people. So you tend to find when you test the people, they start to come up positive for THC, which should not happen. It's a very expensive process, and when you do buy the correct oil, it, it can be used for medical uses. Uh, the funny thing I saw a while back when they were fighting for the decriminalization of marijuana is that the people fighting for it, majority of them were the people that use it for for other uses other than medicinal uses. So you find a lot of the guys that are celebrating it are the guys that actually use it for themselves. Uh, uh, how can I say? What's a diplomatic word to use uh, to in- induce some form of uh, euphoria or some form of relaxation? they got all these beliefs about marijuana. At the same time, I think it was changed over because it said it was private use. And I think just with that law in itself, it opens up the door for many other things to happen behind closed doors because it's your private facility, your private home. So I think that can cause a lot of problems in the future. And it also causes a problem for the police officers that are trying to do their jobs. I, in America, if one looks at Colorado and one looks at California, um, it was legalized for medicinal use. And people obviously took advantage of that and got prescriptions or scripts for a pain in the arm or whatever the case may be. And it just became... Um, used for recreational use more than the medicinal use. But can we compare the oil extract if it's done correctly to say, for example, the way people use morphine, which is an opiate in hospitals for the relief of post-op um, pain, but people can abuse heroin in its raw form. Do you think there's a similarity that we're going to see um, cannabis perhaps used more for medicinal use if it's done under the correct circumstances and extracted from a pharmaceutical perspective the same way we look at morphine and heroin? I think in the day it, there can be problems in the future. There will always get people that will abuse some form of medication. It's always been like it. Like you mentioned, morphine and those medicines that are used in hospital. You've got many people in the medical field that, not in the medical field, but there are people that have access to those type of things and they abuse the substance. So I think when it comes to marijuana, it will give a, people good excuse or have an excuse of why they use what they use. So they sort certain pain medicines that people abuse. So that can cause a problem and it's something they're going to, uh, what's the word I'm going to use? Uh, keep in tact. So, in your opinion, if they do the proper extraction from a pharmaceutical perspective and the CBD oil doesn't contain THC, there is a place for it to help treat medical conditions in the future. 100%. Fricky, we spoke about marijuana being a gateway drug. What about alcohol? Alcohol is also it's, it's one that we, we tend to think it's normal for society to drink, but, but also it's a, it's a big killer out there. And... Uh, Coming back to marijuana, what happens is when when the kids, like 16, 15 years old, they go to the dealers and they buy already rolled joints. And these dealers are not stupid. They they lace the drugs or the the joint with drugs like heroin, crystal meth, all kinds of stuff. And, and these kids get hooked onto other drugs. That's how they, it's actually how they start doing stuff like human trafficking and stuff. I can imagine that because they can take the joints mm. and they can dip the joint. We've heard of people mm. having what's called a coke smoke where they mm. put coke powder mm. into their into their smokes, etc. So all of this is, is the frightening reality of the fact that um, marijuana has its uses, but it is still being abused in South Africa. And the process in terms of the legislation, I don't think may have been thought out correctly. Point of interest is that the judge that presided over the matter was actually Judge Zondor who is now the presiding officer in the state capture case.
But when we come back, I want to pick up, Fricky, with you, the alcohol aspect again. Because in my opinion, alcohol plays a major role in destroying families. And in my, in my personal opinion, and perhaps you'll be able to help me with this, it is as destructive as banned drugs. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're talking about the reality of drug abuse in South Africa and what we can do should a loved one, a friend or a colleague go down that that very dark, miserable road. So in studio with me today from the Hope Again Recovery Center is Fricky Heffer and Ralph Dobrega. Fricky is the founder and the head of of the of the Hope Again Recovery Center. And um Ralph is one of the counselors, one of the pastors, and he's also himself a, a recovering drug addict. Before we went to break, I said I want to talk more about alcohol because I think alcohol is so critical. Um, Ralph, I've been chatting to Fricky about my opinion on alcohol. Is my opinion justified or, or, or is alcohol something that we should just accept as being part of everyday life? Uh, I think that anyway, with alcohol, it's such a, it's, 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 it's tradition. Most places have their bry, have their drinks, go out, have their drinks, go to a sports game, have their drinks. So it's something that's, that's difficult to, to squash or, or move out the way like they had in the, in the old dispensation with, when they used to remove alcohol and then legalize it in America quite a few years later because of the bootlegging. But alcohol definitely is, like you said, marijuana is a gateway. I think alcohol, at the same time, can also be a gateway to other things because drugs are easily available in a lot of the places. You'll have a friend or a person at the place you're visiting, whether it's the game, whether it's the bra, someone using there. And I've heard of many stories where people were only using alcohol and they were offered a drug, uh, something to sober them up. And when they've experienced the way they sober up so quickly, they tend to start playing around, dabbling in both. And at the same time, alcohol, you also remove your inhibitions, things you wouldn't have done when you sober and clear-minded are things you'll start doing once you've had a few drinks. So alcohol is definitely something that's to be looked at and uh, you'll be dealt with somehow. So Fricky, when one looks at the NA program as an example, Narcotics Anonymous, it's based wholly on the Alcoholics Anonymous program. So that shows us that there is an addiction problem when it comes to alcohol, which as Ralph quite rightly pointed out, when people lose their inhibitions whilst under the influence of alcohol, they're not just a threat to others or a threat on the road, but they're easily influenced to take other drugs. Does your facility treat people that are also alcoholics? Yes, yes. We... We tend to get quite a, a few alcoholics. And uh, what you'll get is that you'll get different kind of alcoholics. Ones that drink every day. Ones that do go on a, like a binge and drink for a couple of weeks or a month at non-stop. And then just people that drink on occasions but just like mess it up totally. So I actually lost my mom to alcohol when I was 16 years old. So I think uh. now going into the festive season... People tend to think that if you're going to celebrate or if you're going to have time off, you have to drink. Why do we have this culture and what do we do to change this culture? Ralph? Mm -hmm. What can we do to change the culture? I think it's a complete revamp of the way society thinks. I mean, if you look at the liquor ads, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Every, everybody promotes some form of liquor, some form of uh, uh, promotion at a, at a restaurant. Liquor is just everywhere. So it has to be complete revamp or change of thinking for society on a whole. So we have a lot of work to get to even try and get to a place where alcohol isn't the norm. A lot of work to go there. Fuki, we've seen 
stories that that are shocking us as a as a society. We have the very well known case from the Western Cape where a mother actually strangled her son to death because he was abusing her so badly because of the drugs. During the apartheid days, people would talk about somebody being on Boom, somebody being on Dacha, and it was bad. During the apartheid period, we had very, very strict border control because they were trying to prevent people from the liberation movements coming into our, our country. And as a result of these strict border measures, we never had the hard drugs that we're seeing today coming across the borders. Now that our country has been liberated and we have freedom, there's consequences to that because our borders are far more porous and we're allowing a lot of people in. Do you think this contributes towards the drug problem we have in South Africa? And what are the other contributors that, that you think are contributing towards this, this massive spike in drug abuse in South Africa? It's definitely that. And, and it's also that uh, we tend to see that most of the, the dealers are Tanzanians, Nigerians, or people from Malawians, people from outside of our borders coming inside, being here illegally, selling drugs, getting the drugs in and once the police catch, catches them they get deported and the next week they're back so it's a it's in that in that subject i think we almost like fighting a losing battle how do we fight something that we know is a foreign problem which has local connections without coming across as being perhaps xenophobic. Because we know the reality if one looks at the statistics of drug arrests. I remember being shocked a few years ago that there was an arrest made in Springbok of people dealing in, in cocaine in the Northern Cape. I didn't even think that Springbok had heard of cocaine. And this goes back at least eight years ago. And the two people that were arrested were from West Africa. So, one looks at the stats, one knows that these are the guys that are involved. But if these guys start getting targeted for search and seizure, the police are going to be accused of xenophobia. How do we overcome this problem and how do we educate people at at grassroots level as to the dangers of these drugs? So all we can do is we can go to schools, give testimonies, tell them what the drugs do. and But I, was, I lived in a, a town called Douglas five, six years ago, which is probably smaller than Springbok. And one day a, a mom came to me and she actually said that, that she's got a problem with her son. So I went and I saw him and and in a, a question of a week's time, I kicked open a whole drug thing in Douglas with dealers, Nigerians, everything, and Douglas. I mean, that's like as big as his office. So... So it seems to have permeated society from the big metropolis all the way through to the rural one-horse towns. Everywhere. It's everywhere. Ralph, what was your drug of choice when you were using? Uh, well, I think, it, I think it changed over time. But uh, when I started uh, in the, the early days when we had the border, strike border control and that, it was LSD, uh, ecstasy, and marijuana, um, and obviously alcohol. Uh, those were my four popular ones. And as things started opening up more towards the end of my my escapades was cocaine, cats, done meth. I've done most of the drugs, uh, unfortunately. But, so I've got experience in those areas. So. I wouldn't say unfortunately because you <laughs> wouldn't be in a position to be able to help and guide people if you hadn't been through it yourself. That's yes, true. And I think it's so important that people need to take away from 
um, a bad situation, the positive aspect of it. And this is the biggest problem families have. They can be unforgiving. They don't want to acknowledge that the person may have reached rock bottom and wants to, to reach a point of recovery because they've been lied to so many times and let down so many times. How do families reconcile when somebody is ready for recovery? And how, what are the signs, Fricky, that that person's ready for recovery? So we, we tend to see these days a lot that families first, they, they are, but they like, ashamed of coming out and saying that they've got a problem with a loved one so if I was to say anything to families is don't be ashamed this happens to everybody and anybody it doesn't it doesn't choose a certain part of society it doesn't choose if you're rich or poor good house poor house or a bad house this is for everybody people make wrong choices and wrong choices lead us to a place of complete hopelessness or destruction so if families can just come out and not be ashamed there's people like us that are willing to help we're discussing today the problems of drug addiction in south africa we've reached the halfway mark in the show we're going to take a break here when we come back we're going to start discussing the solutions what you can do to help a loved one a friend or a colleague that's in trouble with drugs you're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting about the dangers of drug addiction and what you can do should you want to help a loved one, help a friend, help a colleague, or maybe you yourself need that guidance and that advice and you've been too scared to come out and to talk about it. If you want to send us questions, you're more than welcome to send us a telegram on 061 895-1019. The number again is 061-895-1019. You can SMS the studio on 34519. The SMS number again is 34519. Or you can tweet us at FM. Fricky, we've spoken about the reality of drugs in South Africa. It's something we could chat about all day, but everybody knows there's a major problem with drug addiction in South Africa. When do you need to take action if you know a loved one, a friend or a colleague is involved in drugs? I would say the sooner the better. I would not wait for a person to be in complete destruction or destruction mode or end up on the street or in a place of complete hopelessness before I help. I'll help as soon as possible. That's what I, that's the advice that I would give families. If there's a problem, Sort it out. But how do we know the person's ready for help? We've, we, I hear what you're saying, but we all know the expression they have to hit rock bottom or else they're not going to realize the consequences of their drug abuse. I think it is, in a, in a, in a way it's true that a person needs to get to a place where he's on, at rock bottom, but also if, if families can reach out, there's a lot of good centers out there and people that have walked the walk like myself, like Rolf, if family can reach out early enough to people like us, we can intervene. That's what we call an intervention, where we can go and sit down and talk to somebody and, and explain to them where the road is leading. Because it's not leading anywhere else. It always ends up in the same place. Ralph, did you get help or did you hit rock bottom? You could say I hit, a rock, I hit rock bottom. Uh, they do say that's one of the myths about addiction is that you need to rock, get rock bottom before you get help. But the problem is some people's rock bottom is uh, dead. 
Uh, some people don't get to that rock bottom. So you do have certain systems in place for our legal system. They call court sections. There's two or three different types of court sections. And what some families can do if they're in a place where, where their kids are not wanting help and they're just going down a downward spiral, uh, go see a social worker at a court, etc. Do affidavits and you can get the legal system involved where they can say to them, you're a danger to yourself, you're a danger to society, you need help. And they can actually assist them if they get to a point where they're rock bottom, but they refuse to get help. So there are ways. I'm going to talk to you guys more about the court orders just now because I think it's very important for our listeners to understand that there are ways in which we can have people admitted should they not want to be admitted. But I want to talk more about your story. Mm-hmm. You say you did hit rock bottom. Give, tell us tell us a little bit more about what was going on in your life and what happened that, that made you realize you needed help or maybe you didn't even realize it and you were forced to get help. No, I think a lot of time when, you, when you're heading towards rock bottom, you know you need help. Um, but you always think to yourself that you can do it on your own. You can make your own effort. From tomorrow, I'll do this. From the next day, I'll do this. But when you're in absolute addiction, tomorrow never comes. You just continue as is. One more day, one more day, one more day. You get into a, like a procrastination cycle. Um, and what was happening in my life was I had two beautiful boys. They were a couple of months old. Uh, a beautiful wife that loved me and uh, I was trying my best to, okay, from tomorrow I'm going to work hard, from tomorrow I'm going to stop, or from even from now, but it's always from tomorrow. And it just wasn't happening. I was just getting to a place where I was struggling to manage the work I was doing, I was struggling to manage my family, I was struggling, struggling to manage myself and you start getting embarrassed and shy and you start pulling away from people, you start isolating and but fortunately I had people that still cared about me and loved me enough to realize something was up. So they started speaking to me, started giving me advice and I got to the point where I said, okay, I have to do something about this. And I had to let go of a lot of things, a lot of shame, a lot of exposure. But you find that if you don't allow the exposure and the shame, you'll never get healed. Never ever get healed. You never climb up again. Never ever in a million years. You can't hide that. And there are people that don't mind the shame, don't mind those things. They'll walk walk through it with you. They understand where you come from. They And they'll assist you and make ways like uh, Mr. Effie here next to me that does it for other people. Fricky, what made you get involved in the rehabilitation of People that were involved in the in, in the world of drugs. Yeah, so I also, I also as I said, my I lost my mom when I was sixteen. She uh, was an alcoholic, and uh, from there I was quite an angry teen and started using drugs and got addicted to cocaine. And by the age of twenty-four, I found myself in a place of complete hopelessness. Nobody wanted to do anything to do with me. My parents sort of like kicked me out and didn't want anything to do with me my family and I found myself in a place where I had nowhere to go I was on the street nowhere to go and I just from there reached out to a lady that I knew went to a rehab and from there I always just knew that God's gonna use me to help people and he's gonna use me to help people in the business world and also in recovery so I've been helping people for the last 14 years and our begin recovery center has been open for the last two years. So, Fricky, I never knew that you yourself had been an addict. I always thought that you went into rehabilitation because it was your following, it was the path you were taking, um, and, and I know that your your program is very faith-based. So this comes as a surprise to me, but it yeah. also comes as a bit of comfort for me because it, it means to me that your patients are getting your testimony as somebody that's been exactly where they are. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, that's where my heart comes from. It. I lost a parent through it. I nearly killed myself through it. I've been lucky enough for people to help me when I was really down and out. Uh, one of the people you know, 
as Pastor Dave from Walking with Winners. So he helped me in a time where I was really like lost, lost. And today I can help other people. And and I know the road that it needs to walk. I know that it takes time. I know that it needs to be tough. It's going to be hard. There's going to be days where you want to give up. But we're there to encourage you. And we're there to say, listen, yeah, come. Get up. Let's go. Don't give up. We're chatting about how we can overcome drug addiction. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the specifics of what you need to do should you have somebody that requires help but doesn't want help. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting to Fricky Heffer and Ralph Denobrega from the Hope Again Recovery Center about the dangers of drug addiction, but we're also talking about hope, just like the name suggests in their facility. Fricky, if somebody comes to your facility, what can they expect in your professional um, opinion? How long does somebody need to be in a facility? What do they, they require in a facility? And what have you fine-tuned at your facility to treat drug addiction? Okay, so when when a person comes to our facility, what he can expect is that that we are really busy cultivating an atmosphere where people can come and get healed. People can come and experience peace, can come experience love. People can come and be healed from brokenness. And what we've done that I think is a little different to most of the other facilities is that we are busy giving people skills inside of a recovery center. So... So we, we know that it's a long-term process. It, there's no such thing as a short-term fix for drug addiction. The process is six to nine months. There's no shorter than that. It will not work shorter than that. It will not be sustainable shorter than that. And and after six months, we're going to start giving people skills where we're going to teach them how to become uh, in the catering business or in the as a chef or as a steelworks or carpentry or upholstery or farming we we've got a whole lot of skills that we are busy putting inside of the program and giving people skills so that when they leave they leave with something and they've got hope of a future i was fortunate enough to visit your facility and i was taken aback when i arrived because it really is beautiful it's in a beautiful part of the country and there's nothing around it. It really is a rural setting and you have the farm attached, etc. Describe a bit to our listeners the, the size of the facility, um, how the people are housed and what you have on the premises. Okay, so the facility the, is, is on a plot that's 30 hectares. It's right next to the Moy River. And uh, the housing of the of the residents are really like top top class housing. It's uh, I would say it's probably some of the best facilities in the country. The men and the girls are separated totally. They only have groups together and church together. But the programs are two different programs, and they can't get to each other. And uh, yeah, it's in a, just a beautiful setting, serene, peaceful. It's very nice. Ralph, I I have a question for you because I I have a situation where we've helped people in the past who have needed help or have listened to when we've said you need help and have voluntarily entered a program. But we then have people who are extremely destructive, who have not entered a program and are refusing to enter a program. They're not working. They're living off other people. They're destroying their families. 
What do you do in that situation? Well, first and foremost, when it comes down to people choosing to go, a lot of times they make a decision for help. It's when they're down and out, like rock bottom, basically. So you tend to find many times when they make the decision, they are emotional in the decision. They're in trouble. They need a way out. They need to do something. And what happens sometimes then is that they change their minds. Where is a person that's uh, refusing any help, he just he's just given up on himself, he just doesn't believe in himself, he doesn't want to get the help he needs. And there's a few different ways to handle that situation. You tend to find when people are doing that or living off or sponging off other people, they tend to steal, they tend to take things. You mentioned earlier on in our conversation before we come on air that crime crime and addiction are linked quite drastically. Linkage-wise, I think it's anything between 65 and just over 70% of most crime is caught or done because of addiction. You'll find uh, even people that are hijacking that, they're feeding an addiction of some sort. It's apparently over 8 million people plus that are in the country that are addicted in this country and we're one of the worst, one of the worst in the world. Um, so coming down to how do you help them, you would approach a social worker at a court or social worker at a police office and explain to them this is what's happening, this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my mother, this is my father. Uh, affidavit basically saying that this is what he's doing, he's, uh, he's destructive, he hurts us, he doesn't know how to look after himself, he's a danger to himself, he's always threatening suicide, he's attacked us, he's done all these things and through that the social worker will approach a court with that affidavit, the person will be given opportunity to fight his, fight his or her case in the situation, but looking at the evidence and as many people as you can, um, cousins, aunt, whoever's involved in his life, come there and say, look, yeah, this is the thing. And through the statements, the judge will make a decision saying this person needs the help they need. Another way concerning crime is some people steal and they take things, so what would happen then a bit tougher, but you would actually lay a charge against them. And obviously they would be arrested, which is very difficult for to do that to your loved one. But through that you can approach the court or the prosecutor and say this person is doing it to feed a drug habit and it's called a diversion. And they would say you must go to a rehabilitation center, otherwise you will go to jail for this thing you did. So Ralph, I understand the diversion order, but the first order I think is very interesting to our listeners because a lot of them have that situation how do you get that person to court are they subpoenaed what if they don't pitch at court and if the court does rule that they should go to a, a place how do they get taken does it happen immediately does a court orderly take them into custody explain to us the process what would happen there it would be an immediate thing once they've uh, passed judgment and said it would happen either the police officers will take them there or you'll be allowed to take them there yourself because the court order has been given to get them to the court once they have get to a place where they want to see them they'll send out a warrant for their or subpoena them to the, to the courts. Uh, dealt with them a while back in Pretoria, and what happened, a warrant was given out, but uh, the person came willingly, sat in front of a judge, a thing was passed, they gave them permission to say, do you want to state anything or say anything? She said no, she believes she needs help, and that's the way it was done. And how long is that order in force for? How long does the court rule that they must go for a, faci- to a facility? Up to a year, 12 months. Uh, if the person's really, really difficult after 12 months, you can apply for, but your, your reasons for applying further must be very strong. But you, the person that counsels or the rehab itself could release the person before their 12 months if they deem that they've arrived or got to a place where they can go to the next phase of their recovery. So up to 12 months. Fricky, at your facility, if you had to look at it from a percentage perspective, how many are court ordered and how many are volunteered? At this stage, we would say court ordered not so much, maybe 5 to 10%. We had a bit of a thing with fake court orders a while back, so... So we, we tend to try and help people that say, listen, yeah, I want help. Because it's normally the easier person to help as well. So that being said, you have people that may want to please their families. They may feel they need a break from the drugs, but not 
to go off the drugs completely. And they think maybe if I please my family, I go away for a month or two, it's going to be great. How many people come to you that, that volunteer to come and then don't finish the program? I would say uh, quite a few people don't finish their programs. But, uh. Um, Is that disheartening? It is, eh? As a person, I really have a passion to help people, and you know where this person's going. You know, because we've been there ourselves. We know where it's leading. We know exactly the behavior. We know where, as he comes to you, you know, listen, yeah, what all he's doing is tonight he's busy smoking a joint or snuffing a line or shooting up somewhere. He's on a relapse. And, you, and we know that reality is that people die. It's, we're going to take our final break of the day. When we come back, we're going to get closing statements from um, Ralph as in why people need to consider sending their loved ones to rehab and why the problems are going to go away. And Fricky's going to give us the contact particulars of a facility that he's actively involved in, which is the Hope Again Recovery Center. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief live every Monday, 12 to 1 on 101.9 FM in Johannesburg, streaming worldwide on highfm.com and uh, repeats on Sundays and, of course, podcasts uploaded to the HiFM website within 24 hours of the live broadcast. Today we've been chatting about drug abuse in South Africa and how you as a parent, as a friend, as a loved one, as a relative, as a colleague can help those around you. Ralph, why must people try help somebody who is suffering from drug addiction? Well, look, if you look at society today, I remember when I was a young man, uh, you were like a black sheep out of how many hundreds of people. Now you've got the other way around. You're normally one out of how many people that are walking the straight and narrow. You're still respectful. You're still honorable. You still live for more than what yourself. Uh, yourself. Um, I, I believe it's very, very necessary because the problem is not going away. If you look all over the world, the stats for drug addiction is going up. Look all over the world, the culture for addiction or the breeding ground for addiction is going up. So you need to get people to a place or send people to a place where they can learn something other than what they're learning now in normal society. They need to go to a place where they can learn a different culture, where they can learn how to live differently, think differently, and, and, and think differently. Uh, I saw a beautiful uh, meme the other, way, the other day that said that if, you, if a man plants a tree and knowing it never see the end of that tree, then he understands the meaning of life. And if you look at addiction and dysfunctional behavior society today, they only care about themselves. They don't understand anything bigger than themselves. So they need to get to places where they can learn that life's more than about just themselves. They've got family, they've got loved ones, they've got moms, they've got dads, they've got kids they need to look after, and they also need to fulfill an important role in society and be an important part of society. So it's really important for that to happen. Ralph, what happens if a person doesn't get help? You never give up. You never, never give up on that person. Uh, you mentioned to Fricky earlier on about people maybe not finishing the program. One thing we do know is this, that sooner or later they're going to reach out again. And myself or Fricky or anybody else that works with us will be there to say, okay, how can we help you? You never, never give up. Because as long as the person has breath, they're going to seek help somewhere. And it just might be the time where they will hear and take to heart what they need to do to change. Fricky, I know that your... Um you're very active on social media and giving assistance, etc. And people can find you at Hope Again Recovery Center. But if somebody's in dire need of assistance now, how do they get hold of, of your organization? So, Chad, well, our telephone number for the center is 018-011-1352. And then we've got a 24-hour number that's 066-307-4952. The 24-hour number is 66 
3074952 and then there's a website that they can go and visit www.harc.co.za www.harc.co.za Fricky, thank you for what you're doing to try help these people, but most importantly for helping their families through this process. Thanks. Ralph, thank you for sharing your story with us today. That's only a pleasure. You've been listening to Confidential Brief. We've been discussing drug abuse in South Africa with Friggy Heffer and Ralph Dinobrega. They are from the Hope Again Recovery Center. You can find all their details on our Facebook page, Confidential Brief Radio Show. Um, we'll be uploading contact numbers, etc. And if you found the show interesting and if you know somebody that needs help, uh, the show will be repeated on Sunday. And, of course, the podcast will be uploaded to www.highfm.com within the next 24 hours. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, Monday, is a holiday, so we'll be taking a break. We're back on the 23rd with a very interesting conversation regarding state capture. We're then back on the 30th of December for 2019 in review. Thank you so much for joining in. My name is Chad Thomas. This is Confidential Brief.